This is how we overcome the movement now. Here we come. Reaching to the world with arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And our friend Sarah is not with us today, unfortunately, but hopefully will be joining us as we continue into a new series that we're starting today. And we're going to talk about uh, a topic that, to be honest, we don't like to talk about. We're going to be talking about death and dying and what that looks like, how we can prepare for it, um, some some of the pastoral care that we have been able to offer to folks through that process. Um, we're going to help you possibly even make plans for your own funeral for advanced directives, living wills, those kind of things. Um, it's going to be an interesting series over the next few weeks, just talking about a rather uncomfortable topic, um, but a very necessary topic that we all need to face because it will happen to all of us someday. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny when, when you said that at the beginning, that this is a topic that we don't like to talk about in a, in a broad sense, like, yeah, people generally don't like to talk about death and especially people in you know modern American culture don't like to talk about, about death, but pastors as well. Also, it's not like we are super excited, even though a yeah. part of our, our vocation involves dealing with times of death or people who are near death or people mm-hmm. in hospitals, um, and dealing with grief and lest, lest it be unclear. It's not like we're super big fans of talking about death or dealing with it, but hopefully, um, as people of faith, we can be people who talk about it honestly or, or face it with courage. Um, and that maybe that's, that's what frames this conversation. Um, I, I, maybe that's a good place for us to, to start is that um, while there are plenty of uh, sources or voices or forums out there to think or talk about matters relating to death as people of faith, particularly as people of the Christian faith who come from a particular perspective about life and resurrection and uh, the God who makes all things new, um, we can talk about death in a way that is both honest about the grief and hopeful in the midst of that without flinching on either. And I, I hope mm-hmm. that means that our conversation uh, can can be both useful and something that we don't have to be afraid or, or cringe before we start listening because we're afraid it's going to be uncomfortable. Hopefully there can be there can be hope as well as honesty about um, about how how mortality happens. And I'll be honest, Steve, when I went into ministry, this was one of my scariest things. Oh, okay. The, the scariest aspect for me of ministry was the idea of having to do funerals and dealing with death and things. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I've been able to deal with death for the last eight years in ministry is because of that hope of the resurrection. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say, like, you, you, you so helpfully say that, like, as, as there are plenty of people who have to deal with death um, in other vocations in life and, you know, people, you know, doctors and nurses and people Mm -hmm. in emergency rooms and, um, staff and ambulances, as well as, you know, attorneys who have to deal with estates and things like that. And I, I don't know how folks in those, uh, professions deal with that, knowing that they may or may not also have, uh, a, a word of hope that comes from their faith. Um, but I know sometimes uh, my impression from the medical community is that everything gets framed on how do we save a person's life? How do we prolong their heart beating and mm-hmm. their lungs moving that it feels like total loss and devastation when somebody dies rather than being able to say this is part of how things are. And like sometimes there's that mentality of we lost if somebody died today rather than, you know, uh, there's nothing else that we could do. And we commend somebody in the hands of God 
uh, and that there's there's hope beyond uh, when our human efforts fail. And I, I think for me that like, like like you mentioned, there's there's great comfort even as a professional presence, as a, as a pastoral presence with people that pretty quickly there comes a point where I don't have the ability to make somebody live longer or get better just by my say so or willing it or wishing it or even praying it. But at some point we commend people into God's hands, knowing that God's got an ace up the sleeve. And, and while we have that hope, we also realize, you know, th- there are certain deaths that we've all dealt with in ministry that have come, they're expected. Mm-hmm. I, I call them, Personally, I call them the grandma deaths. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 95, 85 year old grandma has lived her life and everything. And, and it's it's her time. And yeah. and we get that. Um, but as religious professionals, we also recognize that sometimes death comes very quickly and suddenly. Yeah. And very unexpectedly. Yeah. And while we have we still have that hope of resurrection, we can hold on to the fact that this is very this is a very sad moment. Yeah. And, that and, and breaks... even grandma death is sad, you know, right, but right, right. in a different way. Right. Right. But like there, it's almost like life teaches you at some point, the painful lesson of people get old and die. And then once you manage to wrap your brain around that, sometimes life throws us a curveball where something happens out of order and mm-hmm. someone very young dies or someone with a, an experience of violence dies or a tragic accident or something. And that upends our expectations that are hard enough to deal with of people yeah. get old and die. But the notion of uh, sometimes it happens and parents have to bury children or people have to mm-hmm. bury spouses way earlier than what their plans were for how life was going to go. Um, and, and in those situations, yeah, it, it's doubly hard because it, it wrecks whatever we thought of as normal. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one of the things that uh, I find increasingly um, hope and I guess grounding or maybe peace in as, as, as we, as people of faith deal with death, especially in the organized community called church is uh, when I look at like the, the broad sweep of the rhythm of our life together in, in worship in weekly worship, there are regular reminders, both of death and of resurrection in our worship life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's there like to numb us to the reality of death, but more like these are things that are not, unsafe to talk about and like in some ways it makes it like that old mr rogers line that anything that is mentionable is manageable Mm -hmm. and that like when there are things that we can't talk Mm -hmm. about like saying voldemort's name all of a sudden they have a power over us but when we can okay this is not easy but we can talk about it and so like when Mm -hmm. i think about in our worship life every time we gather around the the meal of of jesus called holy communion there's an invocation and recitation of jesus in the night in which he was betrayed before he died and yet there's also tied in with that the very promise of resurrection because Mm -hmm. that that moment at cross and resurrection for jesus means hope of resurrection for us as well i think about the every time we trace the cross on our foreheads like on ash wednesday when it becomes really clear and visible and again when in our tradition we'll trace the cross in soil or earth or even sand on the casket at the cemetery often um in this sort of reminder of we're marked with christ's cross even through death so that there's this sort of duality the yep it's a reminder of mortality earth to earth and dust to dust and ash to ashes but there's also this reminder of god's mark on us doesn't let go even then 
Um, and that in, in our household, it's that those are the same words I used to bless my kids with at bedtime. So that like every day is, are these words that we don't have to be afraid when you hear the Lord bless you and keep you. You don't have to be afraid of that cross being traced in your forehead, that there's this reminder of God's got us all through life and will carry us on into new life as well. That when that's a part of the regular fabric of our lives, to me, it makes it a lot easier to face with a certain amount of courage, um, the, the reality of death. And I think it's important that the church continues those traditions. Yeah. Because it, you know, go back in our nation's history, 200, not even 200 years ago, back to when we were an agricultural society or more so, you yeah. know, where everybody was farmers and things. You dealt with death all the time. Yeah. It might have been your animals, but like you dealt with death all the time. Right. It was a common thing. Right. You, you just learned to deal with it. Yeah. And we don't anymore. We separate ourselves from it. We, you know, we, pull away from it it used to be that you know the deceased would be laid out in the family living room right right um right. but now now they're in a funeral home down the road away from everything right right if um, if that at all i mean and increasingly yeah. we're in a culture and i think part of this is dealing with the still after effects of covid where we just didn't have you know public oh, gatherings gosh, yes. but but we're increasingly uh it is is easy to say no we don't want to big have a gig bad a big gathering and visitation or something because Mm -hmm. that just is uncomfortable and i get it but some i I think maybe that the perspective of people of faith in particular can be yep sometimes things are uncomfortable but part of what we do in life is face uncomfortable scary things together and by facing them together Mm -hmm. we strip them of the power they have to haunt us um if we're alone and we're going through this together we can face it you know I always feel bad when I, I have a tendency to read the obituaries in my local paper. That's just, I don't know if it's a church nerd in me or, or what it is. Um, trying to make connections with my community. And I always feel bad for those, those people who don't have some sort of service, mm-hmm. not for them, but right. like for their family and that chance to not have that gathering around them yeah, to bring about that comfort in, um, and maybe hopefully bring around some hope. Yeah, in, in yeah. the midst of a really terrible circumstance, and like you said, during COVID, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember reading obituaries consistently. Well, we'll have something when COVID right. passes. We'll have, right, right. And then who knows how many of those have actually happened because COVID right. lasted so much longer than we expected. Um, right. But it still happens today. Yeah, and it happened before COVID. And I'm just, I, yeah. I can't imagine personally yeah. from my own grief not having that opportunity. You know, I, I think that helpfully charts out some things we need to talk about as this series goes forward that like, OK, I, I hopefully we've initially made the case of in a culture that isn't great about talking about death. There needs to be a place where we can talk about death and not be afraid. So as people of faith, as people mm-hmm. who are given resurrection, hope and the belief in a God who makes all things new, we can have this conversation um, and that this this kind of conversation includes both things for me as a, as an individual, and I think about my own mortality, but also includes things like there are other people in my life who are affected by my life or by the end of my life, and that part of our conversation will need to be what are things uh, that we can be doing, what are conversations I can be having with people I care about, um, about what my wishes are, or how to how to make it again less scary uh, to prepare for that that eventuality. Um, and that this is again not like a just a me facing my own mortality that I, I got to do that, but also mm-hmm. what are things I can do or do with my family or community people I care about um, 
to prepare for or to, to make that a less scary thing. So maybe that charts out some of what we need to talk about in coming episodes. I wonder, too, if we maybe ought to clear the ground before we go any further. Um, we have talked before in other series and other episodes here, as well as just in our own uh, pastoral conversation and, and um, kvetching about um, uh, the, the wider culture and its vague, ambiguous spiritualities. Um, but there's an awful lot of bad theology that goes on about mm, death yeah. and that gets spouted by people who mean well, I'm sure, um, but searching for something to say, end up saying things that can be really, really terrible if you think about what's being said. Maybe this would also be a place to clear the way and say, okay, if we're going to talk about death honestly in this series, what are some things we need to get out of the way and remove these terrible cliches uh, so that we can say something that is meaningful? Are there are there things that come to your mind, Erica? <laughs> so right before Christmas, I had um, I had two funerals on the same day. And one was a very tragic funeral of a young man. He was 33 years old and died um, very unexpectedly of a heart attack. And after the service was done, um, the funeral director was talking with, with mom. And he said, God doesn't give us more than what we can handle. Wow. And, and Steve, I <laughs> I wanted to slap that funeral director. Mm -hmm. I know that's so unpastoral and unchristlike and everything else, but I'm just like, no, right, right. And <laughs> I just in the service, I had told him it's okay to be angry with God, yeah, yeah, in this yeah. moment because of what happened. And then he goes and says that, and I'm just yeah. like, oh my gosh. And maybe this is a moment, uh, I, I'm not one to play devil's advocate so much, but it's to say, like, I get where that impulse comes from. Number one, oh, gosh, because yeah. there is a verse out of Second Corinthians that talking in the context of dealing with temptation talks about. Uh, always God provides a way through temptation mm -hmm. or something that like, basically I can't say I had no choice, but to steal that cookie because it was too tempting. Nope. They, God won't give you more than you can bear in terms of things that are tempting, but mm -hmm. that's not the same as saying that sometimes life doesn't crush us. And cause it does. Yeah. Um, and to say that it doesn't happen either makes it sound like if you buckled in life, it's your fault because you're not strong enough or mm -hmm. God isn't really there for you because if God, you know, if, if, if you were really on God's team, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Um, or mm -hmm. it makes it sound like it's your fault rather than no, sometimes life d does terrible things to us. And we don't, we don't have to say that it's good that the universe is like that. We can talk about as people of faith, the world being broken or marred by death and sin and things like that. But yeah, in this world, things will happen that are beyond um, our ability to bear on our own. And that doesn't mean that's the end of things, but it means we've got to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. there's a there's a line other... oh go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say there's a line of hemingways that i keep thinking of there's a line of his where he says um the world breaks everyone and afterwards many are strong at the broken places and mm -hmm. I, I it reminded me i i read somewhere at, uh, i'm gonna go from hemingway to facebook because it was some sometime recently <laughs> over christmas time that i saw somebody talk about uh, and it was such a beautiful metaphor that i i will fully confess it, it was on social media that i saw it um but someone talked about how instead of the myth of whatever kills you makes you stronger no it's healing afterwards after being damaged or hurt mm -hmm. that makes you stronger and so this person was talking about building a set of like bookshelves that uh at some point the wood had broken and then they told their kid well after we put the wood glue at the place where it broke that spot will actually be stronger than it was before before the break so by the end yeah the the wood is actually stronger at that point 
but it's because of the glue, because the wood glue actually makes that point stronger. It's not that breaking something makes a set of bookshelves stronger. It can hold no yeah. books when it's broken. Um, and so maybe that that's a, a more helpful way of talking about it, that there are times where life just crushes us. And that's part of why it is so vital for us as community to be there to help heal one another so that at the broken places we can be strong and heal over or uh, have wood glue mm-hmm. poured in us or something like that. But it's healing that makes us stronger, not just getting broken and beat up. Um, and if we've got that kind of perspective, then we can say, yeah, when we've come through something difficult and somebody can't see that it will ever get better, we can be a helpful voice to say, we will get through this and we're not there yet, but we will get through this. I, and to mean that mm-hmm. by saying, I will be here to go through it with you. But yeah, just lobbing out there, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Almost sounds like you're dumping the person on God's doorstep. Well, I'm not going to be here for you. God will be with you. Good luck. I'm, you're on your own. <laughs> uh, so that, that doesn't even offer much comfort, you know? Yeah. And also just the general idea that grief ends yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, or especially in our society, again, because we don't deal with death well. Yeah. You know, somebody dies in your family and if you work a nine to five blue collar, white collar job, whatever you get, what max three days. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, you're supposed to be back to normal after three days. Right. Um, and, and as somebody who like my grandfather has been gone 20 years now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, most years that day comes and goes and I don't really notice it, but then yeah. some years that day comes and I'm just like, Oh, dang. Yeah. 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 And it's been 20 years. Yeah. And Um, that realization that grief isn't like a linear progress of like every day it's 1% less painful, but that there are times when it feels like it's, it's abated and then something will come back and it's, man, it's Mm -hmm. as raw as ever. And sometimes it's predictable, like on an anniversary or a holiday or something like that. And sometimes it's out of the blue, something will make a connection for you and you don't don't even realize, but all of a sudden you're thinking Mm -hmm. about somebody and the pain is there all over again. So yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I will confess too. uh, in the last two months, I think it's been, I had a dream about someone who had died from one of the congregations I served, not even a relative, like five or six years ago. And in the dream, this person, like, again, he's been dead for five or six years. In the dream, I remember, like, wrestling with, is it okay that I miss this person who is gone when, like, like it, they're, they're not my immediate relative? And, like, mm-hmm. so I have no idea what brought it on, but there it was. And clearly something in me is still churning where I'm thinking about people uh, who I have known and loved and then gone through burying as well. So yeah, that's another really helpful bit of bad pop psychology or bad pop theology about you just get over it at some point uh, and that grief comes to a clear and resolved all the loose ends tied up thing. Are there other uh, notes of, of bad pop theology that we should maybe clear clear away before we try to do something positive? Well, before I get to another one of those statements, oh, okay. Steve, the fact that you brought up that it, this is a parishioner that yeah. you're still... I think for any other religious professionals that might be listening to us, that is a good word. Like, mm. because, you know, and even for the non-religious professionals, like, you know, they see us and we're very stoic and we hold it mm. together during a mm-hmm. funeral or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they they think that, oh, oh, we don't, we don't grieve the same way that the family does it. And we don't. Yeah. But we still have our own grief yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I realized that in my last parish when, you know, after knowing somebody for five years, mm-hmm. you know, had to bury them. And like, yeah. yeah, that was hard. Yeah. Um, 
but another one, and this has a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, God needed another angel. God needed them in heaven more than he needed right. them here. That all that kind of God right. needed. Right, them right, right. And in some way, shape, or form. Not only does that have the generically bad theology that, like, there's never a sentence that can start with "God needs" that can be correct. No matter how you end that, there's <laughs> right? never a God doesn't need anything as part of how it is to be God, right? Um, mm-hmm. So God doesn't need more angels. God doesn't need more help. God doesn't need more people to pray harder or wish harder to bring Tinkle Braille back to life. None of those things. Um, and then on top of that, if even if you buy into that notion that God needs another angel in heaven, that ends up making it sound like for what us who are here on earth, I guess our needs aren't as important as whatever God needs up in heaven. Like yes. that, that again, pits it like, yes. well, sorry, the needs of the heavenly are more important than, so sorry, you lost your loved one, but sorry, they needed another person to give guided tours up in the pearly gates. Like that again, makes it sound like our, our feelings of loss are expendable or, or can mm-hmm. be dismissed because of some greater good rather than a terrible thing has happened and this hurts a lot and it's going to hurt for a while and we can offer hope of there will be reunion or resurrection or restoration, but that's different than this is why it's actually a good thing that your loved one is gone now because they are now an angel. Nope. Not, not how it mm-hmm. works and not what God needs. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've ever thought of it in that sense, Steve, but I think that's almost more painful thinking that God like disregard the whole God needs theology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the idea that, God needs something, and so his need overrides our need. Right. Like, it's so much more painful. Right. And again, like, to me, as maybe this is in particular out of the faith tradition from which I come, but, like, it seems to me, especially as as a Lutheran Christian, like, the, the whole notion, the whole nature of God is not about ever about God needing to get attention to God's own self, but it's mm-hmm. always about pouring outward for us, yeah. for the world, for the, the world that God loves. Uh, and so, yeah, the, any point where it sounds like, hold on, this sounds like God's making God more important than our need, that, that, that just doesn't add up on any level. Yeah. I mean, that goes completely against John 3.16, for right, God right, so right. loved, you know, like, God right. has always given Right. So why would God take now? Right. Exactly. Um. Exactly. Exactly. And even when, um, uh, even when we use that line that comes out of uh, Job about you know, the, mm-hmm. the Lord is given, mm-hmm. the Lord can take away, can blessed take be away. the name of the Lord. Job doesn't even say that with that sense of God's taking something because God needs it or something like that, but more to say everything is a gift in life, even the people who I love. And so I don't, there's not a point where I get to say, I'm owed a certain amount of time with somebody mm-hmm. like it, it's a reminder that life is awfully precarious and fleeting and to make the most of honoring and loving the people that we have while we have them, but not like a, yeah. God need God, you know, sorry, the lease was up. So God took your relatives back, but not, not even what Job means. Yeah. Um, and maybe we could add to this as well. And this sort of blurs over into other situations of tragedy, but it is, awfully easy for well-meaning folks to trot out the everything happens for a reason kind of thinking Mm -hmm. and again like i am Mm -hmm. all for saying that sometimes in hindsight we can see greater good that comes out of terrible circumstances or that there are multiple levels of something going on so that at one moment it seemed meaningless and chaotic or terrible and i can see later on good that comes out of um that's not the same as this terrible thing happened in order to accomplish this other good thing and therefore Mm -hmm. it wasn't really a bad thing that happened you know like and we've talked before 
uh, in other series about that, the way Joseph says it at the end of the, the book of Genesis, you know, when his, he finally reunited with his brothers, he says, you meant this for evil, God used it for good, but that's not the same as you're off the hook for selling me into slavery. It turns out it was really a good thing you did, but mm-hmm. no, you did a terrible thing. Yeah. It remains terrible. And look how God took a terrible thing and brought something good out of it. Like death and resurrection are, it's, we don't say how wonderful that Jesus died exactly. It's still a terror. I mean, like it's, it's still, it's, it's weird how we talk about even Jesus death, that God mm-hmm. brings resurrection life and, and redemption. And at the same time, my goodness, we murdered the son of God. This is a terrible thing. And at the same time, we can call that day good Friday. Yeah. But it's got to be both together, not uh, either or, I guess. Okay, so maybe with with uh, a little bit of the groundwork cleared, I hope, of some of the bad theology or easy cliches that, again, we all want to find something meaningful to say or comforting to say when someone is hurting and we reach for something, <laughs> something we've heard mm-hmm. somewhere else, maybe on a plaque or an Afghan. Um, but with those cleared away... Um, what what are what are things that any one of us might need to start thinking about or what are topics that might be helpful to have on our radar uh, as we think about how do I how do I prepare for facing my own mortality or how do we as pastoral caregivers like how do we set the table for these kind of conversations I'm not really sure even how to answer that because I haven't had those conversations with folks before they have died or before okay. a relative has died Okay. You know, um, I, I've walked with folks through the funeral planning afterwards mm-hmm. and, you know, had those conversations. Um, I know in seminary, I took a, a class on death and dying and I had to write my own funeral, mm-hmm. um, which was very interesting as um, my grandfather, my 96 year old grandfather was dying at the time wow. I was taking that class. Yeah. Um, so that that was very interesting. And it, I still have it. Uh, it's still buried on my computer somewhere from about 10 years ago. Need to update it. What did um, it feel like for you writing your own funeral liturgy? Did you also have to write a homily for your, or a eulogy or something for yourself? No, it was just <laughs> kind of planning out the funeral. Gotcha. And um, like we had to plan out the funeral and then we had to say like how it might change in like five te- years, 10 uh-huh. years, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. down the road. Um, it, it made me, before I ever got into full-time pastoral ministry, it made me delve into the liturgy mm-hmm. of my um, faith tradition mm-hmm. and see what parts of it I like, what parts of it I don't like. Okay. Um, you know, I tend to use the 23rd Psalm at almost every funeral that I um, officiate over. Mm-hmm. It's not in mine. Okay. <laughs> um, because for me, I, it's, and I don't know, I might change it now. Now that I've done, mm-hmm. you know, 20 some odd funerals, Mm-hmm. Um, I might put it back in there, but at the time I'm just like, no, that's too cliche. I don't want it in there. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, if I'd go back and look at that document now, cause I haven't looked at it in about 10 years. Yeah. I'm sure I would probably rewrite the entire thing. Yeah. Well, so like this is this is maybe a place that that is worth naming as a possible area for, for conversation then that like, um, sometimes people have this like weird superstition of like, I can't think or talk about or plan my own funeral or death because that'll make mm-hmm. it happen. Nope. That, sorry. That there's no such thing as nope. jinxes that, you know, I mean, don't worry about that. And on the flip side, I, if, if anything we said up to this point is true, that in the community of faith, and in particular as people uh, who share the common good news, hope of resurrection, um, 
if there's anywhere it's safe to talk about and not to immediately worry about your jinxing yourself, it's in the wider mm-hmm. church where there are regular reminders of the rhythm of we are people who are marked by death and resurrection. And we share that experience together so that we can be there with one another when others are grieving and so that we can have hope in our own time of grief as well. And if that's the the backdrop for all this, then maybe there is reason or at least it removes hindrances for why I couldn't talk about uh, what I want to have as a part of my funeral service or what arrangements I want made Mm -hmm. or what things are important to me. And that that might have two benefits. One for me that like, it gives me a chance almost like you did in your class to think, what are the things that are important that if I had a chance to say, here are things that I want to commend to those who continue on after me in this earthly pilgrimage. Um, what are things I would want to have said and know that I've, I put that out mm-hmm. there. And also that it has a way of um, maybe relieving some of the pressure of family members who are left feeling like they're supposed to be mind readers. You know, um, I, yeah. I've been with family members before who at the time of, of a death of a loved one, even if they knew that this was on the horizon and they knew it for months or even years or uh, times when it was more sudden, but all of a sudden there's this sort of grief of guilt of like, Mm-hmm. I never stopped to ask what mom's favorite Bible story was, or I never th- asked uncle Phil what his uh, favorite hymn was or things. And to have conversation with family in advance, one makes it uh, a topic that is mentionable and therefore manageable in Mr. Rogers words, but also mm-hmm. uh, allows family members not to have that guilt of, we never talked about it. Cause I was afraid. No, well, we, we talked about it. And, and for family members who often don't want to ask you know, great grandma uh, Adina about uh, what she wants because they're they're worried it sounds impolite. If great grandma approaches the conversation, says, I want you to know, here are the things I'm being brave enough to say it so mm-hmm. that you all don't have to, you know, stare at your feet and hem and haw around it. That that can be a really helpful thing. And it's not just about we have to get the liturgy right or it has to be a perfect funeral. Like people can sometimes obsess about wedding ceremonies, um, but more just like I want this to be something we can talk about, not that we have to be afraid of. And I found whether it's a church family or it's a community family, whatever, you know, when I sit down with the family and talk about like, so what are some stories, you know, yeah. what, are, what is, what, what is the state's favorite scripture passages or favorite hymns? Mm-hmm. And so often I just get that blank stare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even to get stories to try to put a eulogy together, like I find myself not just asking, so tell me about, you know, the deceased, yeah. but like, you know, if, if it's a spouse, mm-hmm. how did you all meet? Like, you know, yeah. how did you fall in love? Yeah. You know, if it's a parent, tell me, you know, what are some of your favorite childhood memories of, of yeah. your mom or your dad or, or a sibling or um, just to try to get that. Cause so many families are just, they're so dumbstruck at the time sure. of grief. Sure. They, they don't know what to share. And to me, this is one of the real beautiful things about life together in community as church that hopefully all the times we are together in just doing ordinary life when there isn't the shadow of death in the room and we're mm-hmm. sharing stories and learning and, you know, you make conversation and while you're washing dishes in the kitchen after the church dinner and say, yeah, hey, how'd you meet? You know, like there are places for those conversations to happen too as well. So that like, um, there's this organic feel of when it comes time mm-hmm. to talk about somebody at a funeral. There's we've shared a whole bunch of life experience together leading up to that, um, and that's part of the beauty of of life as congregation as community. There's that 
Mm -hmm. sort of communal memory of people who've been there, you know, living through ups and downs of life with one another for, you know, potentially a long, long, long time. Um, and that ends up being a real gift and that it can be, yeah, as we're burying so-and-so, we remember we were with them through this up and this down and they were with us through mm -hmm. this so that we share that arc. And it's not just we're all arriving at death, like for the first time, but like, no, we've been on this journey of life with them for a long time. Um, and in some ways that allows us to tell the stories at a time of death, almost with a permission or an authenticity, because we know the stories, we've mm -hmm. shared them and it's a matter of just recalling uh, yeah, here are the things that we need to remember about this person at this moment. And some of the most meaningful, meaningful funerals that I have done for myself have been those funerals of folks towards the end of my last appointment. Yeah. In my last parish, because I had been with them for five years. Yeah. You know, so I, I was, even though I might not have been a part of those stories, yeah. I'd heard those stories. Yeah, and like, exactly. you know, I, I'd heard them shared, just like you said. And so I could tell them not as, hearsay or, or second yeah, hand yeah but i could tell them because you know ruby or john shared them with me directly yeah um yeah so yeah. and i think it's important you, you know i said about doing planning my funeral 10 years ago and how it would change making sure that you go like when you have those conversations um especially with the older members of your family don't just have them once you know, don't have when grandma turns 75 and then don't have it ever again. Yeah. Because grandma's going to live for another, you know, grandma might live yeah. for another 20 years. Yeah. And and things are going to change in that and, time frame. And to know too, and this is maybe another thing that is an option for people to consider, is that um, sometimes it's helpful for somebody to write down what their wishes are and either give copies to their family members, not like it's written in stone and you can never change it, but like, hey, mm -hmm. so that when we have to do this, you don't have to rack your brains going, oh yeah, what hymn did she say? But like, if I've written down, um, here are the hymns that are meaningful to me. If I get a vote in my own funeral, here are the things that I would want to have heard yeah. or said or read. Um and I know in the congregations that I serve, we have uh, periodically, um, you know, created like a simple form and said, like, if this is helpful for you and you want to have this on your own or have us keep a copy at the church, knowing that you can change it at any time. But like, this is a way that if it gives you peace of mind to know I've said the things or shared the things I want to share, mm -hmm. but also then it becomes a way of telling family members, hey, I have these things written down. Here's where I keep it. And here it is. And again, in the in the generating of that content it makes it in some ways easier to have the conversation with the family. If it's like, well, my church has these forms, so can we fill them out together? It almost gives a reason for why you can have the conversation mm -hmm. when otherwise family members might be, Oh, I don't want to deal with this now. Can we do it? Well, you know, let's do this. And then we can not have to worry about it again. And again, if you never change it, fine. If you change it every six months, that's fine too. But it, it almost is, we, we sometimes need a, a, a something to kickstart ha actually having the conversation. And I think those conversations can deepen family relationships because you oh, might yeah. hear those stories that maybe you haven't heard in 20 years. Maybe you've never heard. Yeah. Um, just because it, it hasn't come up in conversation, but because you're talking about end of life right. things, these things are coming out. Something I learned from um, a funeral I did last Christmas before I left Marion Center at Miss Ruby's, um, she had made funeral plans at the funeral home, had everything picked out, you know, the, the headstone, everything. Her husband mm -hmm. had been gone for about 10 years, mm -hmm. um, had her casket picked out everything. And when she died, they no longer made her casket. Mm. And so that's why you need to, to up at least some of those things. Sure. 
you do need to make sure you go back and update. Cause then all of her kids were sitting there like, well, this is, they were trying to find a casket that looked like what mom wanted. Right, right, right. Because they didn't have the one right. that mom wanted. And, and to be able to have that conversation with your family, not just like as a business transaction with a funeral home, but like to say with family, like, th- you know, I, I pre-selected my, my casket and to be able to tell the family why, well, I like this one. Cause I like the color blue. So pick a blue one. Or it's some, in some families are like, uh, or some people are, are you know, I'm, I don't want to spend a lot of money if a box you're going to put in the ground. So I picked the cheap pine box because that's yeah. what I don't care. About. And but to be able to say that to family members, give them permission, because sometimes family members grieve through spending and like mm-hmm. their their approach is we want to show everybody how much we honor dear you know great grandma. So she didn't have a casket picked out. So we're going to get the Cadillac, you know, that is you know covered in gold and inlaid with wood and things like that. When like mm-hmm. maybe that's not what she would have picked for herself. And it's not really a meaningful thing for her to honor her life or her values by so I mean like the, having those conversations helps family to have permission to know this is what they wanted and why. So that if the model that isn't available that they wanted isn't available. They know. Oh, she liked the blue one. Pick a blue one, not necessarily pick the one with velvet on the inside or whatever. You know. Yeah. And this sort of will get into a place I know we'll talk about in a in a future episode in this series. But it also raises questions about like uh, being able to talk with family members about whether it's somebody's wish uh, to be cremated or to be buried mm-hmm. or embalming or you know having funeral home visitation or viewings or things like that. And we'll talk a little bit maybe about the the theology or spirituality or or practice of that in Christian history as well later on. But to, again, like these are the kinds of conversations we can have now. And if we have them when there isn't a terminal diagnosis or we're dealing with death mm-hmm. already, it's easier to say, hey, if this is ever something you're worried about, I want you to know I'm okay with being cremated and this is why that's my wish and it's okay. And so don't beat yourself up of uh, we're just doing it because it's cheaper or are we dishonoring mom or dad mm-hmm. or great grandma because this is what my wish is. That has a way of both relieving the family and also expressing what's important to me as a person. Here's what I want. And when you have these end of life conversations, and again, this is going to be an episode further down the road, yeah. but you know, living wills, DNRs, that kind of thing should also become part of that conversation. Right, right, right. So, yeah, and maybe it's the church nerds or the pastors and both of us that have gravitated toward what what psalms and hymns do we want in our funeral (laughs) services? That's how we think of things. But obviously, yeah, uh, and this will be, like you say, further further grist for the mill and further conversations in this series. How do we as people of faith approach conversations like um what we want in a in a living will or what kind of treatment medical treatment we want if we're not able to make decisions of our own and why it can be valuable to tell those things to your family members as well as to get them in whatever legal documentation your state has uh Mm -hmm. for doing that um as well as things you want for a burial or cremation or things like that that all those conversations make sense to have with family now um and not to do it fear with fear but all in this broad context of we're people who can talk about death honestly and we're people who can have meaningful yeah. hope of resurrection and because of that we don't have to be afraid of talking about i don't want heroic measures or i here's what i want to mm-hmm. do not resuscitate order or here's what i want if i'm no longer mentally capable of making my own decisions we can have that conversation with honesty and clarity because of our faith yeah my parents have been on me for years now and I still haven't done it. So sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening <laughs> um, <laughs> about writing up my will. I mean, yeah. I, I'll be 40 in July. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm relatively young and 
decently healthy. But, you know, after burying somebody younger than me, just yeah. right before Christmas, yeah, I I see the importance of having something like that. Sure, sure. And especially since, you know, my parents are older. They'll both be 75 this year. Um, and, you know, being an only child, like, where? Yeah. What I have, where does it go? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if something should happen to me, um, and something should happen to them. So it's it's not something you wait to talk about right. when you're retired, right. when you're in your seventies or eighties. It's something you can talk about even, you know, in your thirties and forties. Um, I'm sure you know you and and Sarah have talked about it because you have kids. You know? Yeah, in in fact, it was it was before we adopted that um, that became a reality for us. I think I think. Uh, prior to that, we sort of were in this a little bit of the youthful invincibility. We don't even think about this mm-hmm. yet, and also the we don't have any fortune to give to anybody or to bequeath to anybody. So there's nothing meaningful to put in a will. But at that point, we had to put on paper. It was pretty hypothetical at that point. It was if we hypothetically adopt children, if we have any money hypothetically, it will go to the hypothetical children. They will inherit our <laughs> hypothetical estate, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I am still of a disposition where I don't, I, I guess my, my whole notion of I'm not looking to amass a fortune to bequeath to anybody because I, I like that seems to me a mis- misunderstanding of how to use wealth anyway. So um, my apologies in advance to my kids. I'm not looking to bequeath <laughs> them a fortune. Um, uh, but like, yeah, at some point you have to say, it's not just everybody else who dies and pastors never die because they you know, officiated. Mm-hmm. No pastor side too. And there at some point uh, is the sometimes messy business of how you deal with money in estates, as well as medical questions, as well as care questions, as well as mm-hmm. what Psalm you want read. And just to be able to name that, that um, this, this is a reality that is part of being human in the world in which we live. And while we yeah. can hope for a new creation where death is no more and every last year is wiped away, in the meantime, this is the world we got to live in. And that means d- being as faithful and loving as we can to the people we care about by addressing or at least talking with people about the things that uh, we, we need to make plans about. As this series goes on, we're hopefully going to be looking at some more specific kinds of things like um, how we talk about burial cremation and uh, burial practices as Christians and what the history is and mm-hmm. where maybe where taboos have been and where they don't need to be. We'll talk about things that get a little closer to medical and legal questions of advanced directives and living wills and things like that. And again, to the extent that our faith perspective speaks to that without us being claiming to be legal experts, we can at least speak so that whatever uh, hangups people have from a faith perspective, we can talk about and those kinds of things, as well as how do we deal with situations where the usual script uh, doesn't flow right where where it's not mm-hmm. someone who's lived a long healthy happy life uh, but when violence or someone dies tragically or or abruptly or unexpectedly and how does our faith perspective speak to that when things don't go the way we're taught as normal those will be things and more that we'll be talking about in the future so we hope that this uh, series is one that is now safe for you to be a part of and not scary and we invite you to be a part of this conversation here in these coming weeks here on crazy faith talk See you.